think that song is wonderfully appropriate as we get into the Word of God. It is because of who He is. That's the very reason you and I are sitting here this morning. We're not sitting on a couch somewhere or on a beach or, or someplace else. I'm not talking about if you're doing that, you're, that you're not in God. Please, I, I, I hope that you have some opportunities to sit on your couch or on a beach or at a pool. But I'm talking about the reason why this is just not all of what we do and that we are not concerned at all with the things of Scripture and eternity and life in Christ. The reason why is because God has intersected our lives and he showed up in our lives and said to us, you need me. And we said, I agree, Lord. We came and we followed him. And I'm hoping if there's any here this morning that that is not you, that you continue to allow to let the love of God show you who he is. We're going to continue in Matthew, actually, and I know we've closed out the Sermon on the Mount, but we're going to continue in Matthew. Our brother Cletus last week threw it down. He um, didn't play. God um, used him tremendously as he spoke the word to us, and so we are grateful that we get to continue in chapter 8. I decided um, after that I'd be crazy to go anywhere else, um, but I, I had already planned that, and I'm glad that the Lord just confirmed it. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, um, if you don't have your Bibles with you, it'll be in the centerfold of your bulletin. Ask us to stand as we read God's word this morning, verses 5 through 13. In chapter 8, and this is now how Jesus responds, how Jesus goes about living after he gave the sermon, then he goes out and he is living out his sermon. And so we begin to see the king in action. We heard the king declare, now we're getting ready to see the king, or we've started to see rather the king demonstrate. And so let's, let's continue to read, starting at verse 5. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west, and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the and centurion, you guys got it, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, may we hear what you are saying, see where you are leaning and directing, and understand what you are giving us. Lord, just take our focus and place it on you. 
In Christ's name, amen. amen. Guys are reading better than me. You can go ahead and be seated. In parallel, you want to follow because we're going to get some further instruction in detail. In parallel, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 7. They won't put that up there on the screen, but Luke chapter 7 verses 1 through 10 gives us a little further detail. And you're wondering, well, why and are these stories conflicting? And I would say, no, you have to understand how the different writers are focusing. That these are not just random collections of stories that when you're reading these gospels that they were writing with intent and with purpose. Matthew was concerned with you seeing Jesus as the king and as um, as um, as the father's Christ. We know that Christ is not Jesus's last name. We know that that means Jesus the Christ, which means the anointed one. And so Matthew is, is set on showing you in all his writing that he is the Messiah and that he is the king of the kingdom. And thus, you get in Matthew the most reference to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And then you see him referred to and, and, and actually demonstrated as king. So to back up a little, what we've seen thus far is that we've seen the approval of the king. And that was at the baptism of Jesus Christ that we saw God's approval rest and reign on him. When he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then you get in another gospel, it said, listen to him. And so we see now almost this, 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 this coronation, not crowning, but, but, but we see this introduction of the king and he has God's full approval. And then as we move into the Sermon of the Mount, you actually see the authority of the king being declared. He is now speaking. And as a matter of fact, he speaks and he speaks as one who is over and above the law because we got that in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, you have heard it said of old or you have heard it said. And what he was referring to is the law. But then he would make such statements as, but I say unto you. And so what he was saying is, I am declaring the full meaning. As a matter of fact, he can speak over and above the law because all of the law pointed to him. And so he said now, so he declared and he gave us the characteristics of the kingdom. And at the end, the people recognized that they said he speaks with authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. That was one time that I wouldn't be proud to be called a scribe or a Pharisee because what the people said is you don't speak with authority. And so he speaks as one. And as a matter of fact, we heard Cletus say it last week. He said Jesus spoke as only God would speak because he was God in the flesh. And so now the next part that we get ready to get into or we got into rather last week and we began it was that we see the authority of the king demonstrated. We heard it declared and now, just like Cletus said last week, I was paying attention, just like he said last week, he said not only did he say things that only God could say, now he is doing things that only God could do. And so what was the whole point? As you, as you think through that, then what we read are not that it is no longer just a collection of random healings and, and Jesus just going along and, oh, let me heal him. Oh, let me do this miracle. He wasn't this miracle worker just trying to show off all the things that he can do like someone pulling tricks out of a bag. 
he was actually, you know, uh, intentionally walking through, demonstrating to those around that his authority was real and that his authority was, the, was actually given by the Father. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees and the scribes knew exactly what he was doing, which is why they were seeking to kill him which to me makes no sense because if a man is approved by God and God's strength rests on him and you try to kill him, you somehow don't realize that you're not fighting him, you're fighting God. And, and, and these guys didn't realize that, that they were fighting God. And you lose every time you fight God. Let me just help you out. You may actually seem like you may have the upper hand and you may, it may seem like you are gaining ground all God has done is not tighten the noose on that rope that you have. He's given you more rope and you don't realize it. And at some point, that rope tightens and it ends. It's like when you see that dog that you don't understand how long the leash is and he comes charging at you at the gate. And then all of a sudden you stand there and realize I'm done. And all of a sudden he jerks back. His rope stopped. And what he didn't realize, what the Pharisees didn't realize is they had rope. And that rope had an end on it. And God was the one that was going to pull, tug, and halt any progress they had. So they were fighting God. But here we see revealed Jesus is now demonstrating that he is king. Now Luke's story, when we go into chapter 7, Luke is concerned more with the character of this man as he is telling the story of Jesus as his servant. But he looks at Luke. Luke is 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 concerned with not only his ethnicity, but he is, he's, he's concerned with his character and with who this man is in spite of the ethnicity that he comes from. And this is a story of contrast as well because it is the least likely who demonstrates the greatest faith. And what, and what we're seeing overall that Jesus is telling us is those who would inherit the kingdom don't get it because they deserve it, and they don't get it because they were born into it. And he is demonstrating by his authority, again, what the kingdom is like. And so when it comes to this authority, I really want to pause here just for a second and actually say this, because I was thinking about this this week, all of this week, this was on my mind about Jesus demonstrating his authority. He declared it, and then he backed up who he was. Why was that? Because he wanted you to know from where he was coming. The Pharisees asked, by, 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 by what authority do you do these things? And Jesus was like, you mean by what authority? You don't see it? I'm doing things that only God can do. I'm saying things that only God can say. I am promising things that only God can promise. As a matter of fact... I am tying in with things. I am fulfilling prophecy that was given thousands of years before, and now it's actually come in the past in the time that he said he would. Why? Because God is in control. And so they were asking, by what authority? And he was like, you're seeing what authority I do it by. You just don't want to believe what you see. Now I'm going to go to today. There's a lot of people shouting and wanting your allegiance. There's a lot of people saying that they are the man. We have, we have groups that are saying they are the group. We have people that are saying, I am the new Christ. I know he came, but I'm better than him. Here's what I got to say to that. If 
you want to speak, I'm sorry, if you want to stand up above the authority of Christ, come with more authority than Christ came. Otherwise, your authority doesn't measure up. If, if, if you can't come with at least what he came with, sit down. Because your authority is weak. I can say that because Jesus, when he was doing all this, he was letting the world know my authority comes from the Father directly, and it is above all authority. And now when he speaks, and he backs it up with action, and he backs it up with power, what he is saying, again, if what you say cannot be supported by greater authority than what Jesus has displayed, be quiet. And I ask you and I today, who are we listening to above Jesus? And can I ask you, what authority have they displayed that warrants your listening to them? What have they done? What have they promised? What have they saw fulfilled that is greater than what Jesus did? We've got folk wanting us to listen to them, and they look just like us, born just like us, will die just like us, and as a matter of fact, will answer to God just like all of us will, whether we believe it or not. And I warn every one of us, and me, myself, that we stop listening to people that have not demonstrated greater authority than the king has demonstrated. He said, I'm going to speak, back it up, and so now I command your allegiance as king. And we look at what he's done and say, yes, Lord. And so we see it here. We get into the authority of Jesus. As he comes down, he meets the leper. And the first thing he says is, I have authority over the greatest of human diseases. Leprosy was at the top. We heard that last week. But he was also stating that I have the ability to clean man from his greatest disease, and that is sin. And then now he comes to the centurion, remember, Jesus walked up and he touched the man. He stretched out his hand. I love that reference that Matthew says because it, it, it was a reference to Moses because you see it that Moses stretched out his hand. It was used of him, and it was a symbolic sign of strength given from God. And God would, in Scripture, stretch out his hand. That was, that, was, that was symbolic of the strength of God. So when Matthew wrote, he wrote intentionally, Jesus stretched out his hand to the leper. It was the strength of God reaching out to touch the man who was unclean, both physically and spiritually. And he says, I can make you clean both ways. Now he comes and he leaves town and he's walking to what would be his home base, Capernaum. And as he enters, now you read the story. When you go over to Luke, Luke gives us this account. Jesus probably never meets the centurion. When you look at the scripture, it says he came to him. But we understand in scripture, when you send people on your behalf, it's as if you're there. And so we see in Luke's account, he said that he had sent some people to go ahead of him. As a matter of fact, he sent elders. And so I want to look at the first thing that we look at today is is with, with the Roman centurion is the fact that the, that the centurion sends for Jesus. He sends an entourage. Now, we know in Luke that this entourage is Jewish. He said that he sends some Jewish elders to speak to Jesus, to ask him to come. So when Matthew says that should the, the centurion 
you know, pleaded with Jesus for him to come, it was the representatives of the centurion came to Jesus speaking on the centurion's behalf. Now, here's something that we learned about the centurion. He was not Jewish. He was Roman. And, and, and yet, when we hear about him, we see something that doesn't add up, seemingly. See, he was from the group of what was seen as the oppressors, the Roman government over the Jewish community, and the Jewish community didn't like it because they were in their own land, but they were, but they were under the rulership and the lordship of the Romans. And the centurions who were, who were, who were leaders over, over groups of soldiers were not the nicest people to the Jews. But we get someone that's different here. But we know still that he is outside of the covenant. He is not one of the Jews. He is not in with the promises of God. But we see a contrast. We see with him that the Jews speak highly of this one. He might be of them, but he's not like them. He might be from that group, but he doesn't, he doesn't act like that group. This is someone different. When you look at Luke it actually says that the Jews spoke highly of him, that he said that he treated us well, that he even built our synagogue. Here was a guy that represented oppression, but he was benefiting the people. And so what he did is that he sent Jewish elders, understand he had, he had connection with and, and, and and the Jewish leaders loved him so much that he sent them to speak on Jesus' behalf. Now, there's something that we have to understand with this. These elders thought that he was worthy. If you look at Luke chapter 7, hold your finger on Matthew, and we look at Luke chapter 7, it says... Verse 3, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal a servant. And when they came to Jesus, they, who's they? The Jewish elders. They pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. And then they say, why? Verses 5, and seven, I mean, and, and they say, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. That would be today, hey... He is worthy, Jesus, of doing this because he, although he may not be today, although he may not be a Christian, hey, he has given to our church. He loves Christian folk. As a matter of fact, he has helped to give money to the clinic. He has helped to support all of what Solid Word is doing because this was a local synagogue they're talking about. And so it's as if he was saying, he is deserving of you to do something for him, Jesus, because he has been doing stuff for us. Find that interesting. They thought that this Gentile who was outside of the covenant, who was not under the promises of God, was worthy for Jesus to do something. As a matter of fact, Jesus owed him. That's what being worthy meant, that, 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 that indeed Jesus owed him because he's been blessing the Jews. And I like Jesus' initial response. He comes. And he says, Matthew shows us, he said, well, I will come and heal him. It's interesting that Jesus does that. It's interesting that even though these Jews who grew up with the scriptures knew what the covenant was, knew what God expected, knew that this Gentile wasn't worthy, knew that he wasn't someone that, got, that, that could even stand before God in old times because of what he did, 
he was deserving, which by projection, we tend to project our own feelings from how we feel about things. They thought they were deserving because of who they were born under. And they had learned the scriptures. They had known the covenant. Let's translate that today. They grew up in church. Mom and dad are Christians. That I've been going to church all my life. That I've been in Sunday school. I come to Bible study. Youth group, been there, done that. Involved in adult small groups. And yet because of that, I am deserving, Jesus, of you to do something for me. But I would also back up and say I like the centurion because we'll see later something about him. But I would say to you and I, do not despise when people who do not believe in Christ ask for us to speak on their behalf. Sometimes we may want to laugh. No, take it seriously. They may actually think at that point that they are not worthy to come before God. Well, not as children they aren't, but as people looking for salvation they are. But if, if you are asked to pray for someone, don't despise it. Pray for them. If you're asked to go to God on their behalf, I have people say to me, well, you got a better connection with God than I do. And I would say it's not because you can't. It's because you just don't. And maybe you don't want it. But if someone asks me to come and pray for them on their behalf, I realize I'm not better than them. I realize that I go to God regularly, just like we do, and that I can talk to him for them while I talk to him for me. And so he sends the Jews. And then Jesus responds back to the centurion. Jesus responds back and says, I'll come. That was radical. Understand, he was seen as a rabbi. And a rabbi would not be found in a Gentile's house, nor responding to the request of one outside of the covenant. So he, he goes. Jesus goes. Why? Because God knows the heart of man. He knew what was going on the whole time. He knew what was going to happen. He understood the heart of Jews. He would speak to them in a little while. So he kind of put a pin in it and put them on the side. And he says, I'll go to him. Because he knew who, who, who he was coming to. So he walks on, and as he gets closer, the messengers must have gone back to the centurion and said, Jesus is coming to the house. Why do I know that? Because, because he sends the messengers back, and they come back and say, Jesus, don't trouble yourself. No, 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 don't come. And here's where we get the picture of, 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 of why Jesus began to marvel at this guy and how he is talking about his authority. He says, don't trouble yourself, Jesus. Why? He says, because I'm not worthy for you to be under my roof. Hold on a second. The guy who doesn't know God, who's outside of the covenant, who didn't grow up with the scriptures, has enough sense to realize I'm not worthy to have you come in my house. But the people who should have known better thinks that he's worthy. But that's how we are. We get a couple of verses under our belt. We, 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 we string a couple of Sundays together in attending church. We start coming to other functions and all of a sudden we believe that God owes us. Or somehow we are safe with him because of what we do, not because of who we are. And, and, and so Jesus comes up and he says to him, look, I understand your authority. So now Jesus decides to come and the satirian responds, with properly placed faith and truth. He responds with a properly 
really a properly placed faith and truth. What is that? He says to him, look, don't come. I know I'm not worthy. Does that remind you of something? That should have reminded you of the leper. The leper said, hey, Jesus, if you would, if you're willing, please make me clean. He says, I understand that you're Lord. Come on, we learned that last week. And hopefully, as we, lock, as, we, as we looked at traffic lights this week, we thought about, does that traffic light have more of our allegiance than Jesus does? I look, stopping at a traffic light has a whole new meaning today. Thank you, Brother Cletus. But the understanding was now is that he says, Jesus, will you make me clean? And here comes the centurion again. I'm not worthy for you to be here. But I want my servant healed. And understand, he's not even asking for himself. This time, he's asking for someone who has worked under him. And I understand two people that come to Jesus broken, realizing that they are undeserving, and Jesus responds. Both of them were outside, one because of his uncleanness, the other because he was born outside, Gentile. And that represents you and I, both of us. We're unclean because we were born in sin. And we were not part of the covenant. But God would bring us in. And so what we see here is two men really acting out that first beatitude. Remember we said that? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And remember what we said, that that poor in spirit had nothing to do with your economic status. That poor in spirit had everything to do with you realize your bankrupt nature. Was spiritually speaking, when you stood before God and you brought nothing to the table, he owed you nothing. And when you came, you realized that both these men came like that. And then he says something pretty amazing. The centurion's response back with a properly placed faith. He says, just say the word. He says, your word has authority. And then he explains what he means. He says, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Now, I know some people saying today, just speak it into existence. That's not what he's talking about. Just say it and it'll be done. That's not what he's talking about. He understood Jesus' authority, not yours and mine. My authority wasn't in mine when the centurion was talking. He was looking straight at Jesus, and he says to him, for I, too, am a man under authority. He didn't say of authority. He didn't say a man who wielded authority. He said, I am a man under authority. And then he explained what he meant. He said, I command soldiers to go, and if I say go, do this, and if I say climb the hill, if I say jump, they say how high. He said, I understand this. So all you need to do is say the word, Jesus. Why did Jesus marvel? Let's look at that just a little bit. What was this man saying? He says, I too am a man under authority, a captain on the Indianapolis police forces, only a captain if he comes under the authority of the Indianapolis police force. He is under authority, thus he has authority. When he or she speaks, the whole police department in the city of Indianapolis speaks. Whether they speak wrong or not is not the issue. When they speak, the police force speaks. Let's talk about from a military standpoint. When a person is a captain or any official in the U.S. military, when they speak, when they act, they are acting on the behalf 
of the U.S. military. This guy understood, centurion, when I speak, Rome is speaking. And he looks at Jesus and says, when you speak, God is speaking. He understood authority. The Jews didn't even understand that. They didn't even embrace Jesus' authority. Hear this ungodly man who learned something by watching the Jews learn more than the Jews who should have been looking at themselves. So he says to him, look, I too am under authority. And I understand that you represent God. Now, I don't know if he understood all of what he was saying, if he understood that he was the God-man, that he was God in flesh. But here he was. He displayed true faith, and Jesus responded. He said, I've not seen greater faith in all of Israel. Whoa. Was he talking about quantity? Because that's what people would have you believe, that you didn't get healed because you didn't have enough faith. No, he wasn't talking about quantity. That somehow you needed to have 10, no, level 10 faith, and you only have level 8, so you need to keep working on it. When you get to level 10, then God will do something for you. That's not God working. That's you working. He says to him, it was the content of his faith. What was the content? That he saw Jesus as who he really is. And when he came to Jesus, when he asked a request of Jesus, he came understanding who Jesus had proclaimed himself to be. Thus, Jesus had no issue responding to him. Two things were happening when he responded. Number one, he was saying, you got it right. My authority is true, is real, and I am the king who all I need to do is say something. The second thing that was happening was Jesus was demonstrating, I don't need to be physically present for my will to be accomplished, a la all of us sitting in this room here today. Jesus may reside in our hearts, but they're not little versions of Jesus in our hearts. We're talking about his influence. We're talking about his reign. So when we say that we follow Jesus, is he physically present? No. But does he need to be? No. Why? Because he just demonstrated here, my word is effective whether I'm there or not. And so I'm not worried about it not happening. I know here, here, in, 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 in sports, we see a version of that. Those of you who like sports, you know, you know those guys are the greatest shooting threes. You know, Steph Curry would do this too, and he's not the only one, no. But guys that when they feel that they are in the groove, they will shoot their three and before it, turn around and walk away. Now, here's the deal. They think 98% that it may go in. They can't say they know because that thing may clang on the rim, and they're embarrassed. We've had some guys that have had that happen with them. But the ones that do this a lot, and they probably practice it, will shoot and turn around and walk away. Why? Because they know that is. Jesus is like, when I say something, I can turn around and walk away because I know it's going to happen. He's talking about real authority. This is why I say, when these people that come up and want to say that they're greater than Jesus, I go, man, if you can't speak and walk away, because you know your authority is going to make something happen, be quiet. If, 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 if you don't have sovereign control, that you know that without you being present and without you working your little network, that something is going to happen, 
be quiet. See, we serve and follow a Christ who has real authority. It wasn't snatched. It was given. Given by God the Father. One and you know what? One and finalized on the cross. How do I know that? Because when he came to the disciples at the end, I get excited. He goes, now all authority has been given to me. Why? Because we saw him demonstrate authority over different things while he was alive. And when he died and was resurrected from the grave, he says, now I got it all. Because the last thing I had to conquer was death. And because I did, now there's no thing, there's nothing, no thing that my authority doesn't cover. We saw here Jesus' ability in the leper of all of human diseases. Now we see Jesus' authority to speak without touching, without acting, and it still happens. We're talking about the authority of the king. Demonstrated. And Jesus is building up as to why you should follow him. Because the king has arrived. But then we get at the end. I love this. He says at the end. He says to the guy. Oh, before I go there. Almost missed it. Almost missed it. Cannot miss this part. Jesus turns to those that followed him. Jesus turns to those that followed him. Understand, these are people that are following Christ for various reasons. We would look at them at the outside and say, those are people that are, you know what, they are disciples of Christ. They, they want to follow Jesus. We don't know their intent. But Jesus turns to them and says, I've not seen greater faith in all of Israel. But then he gives a welcome and he gives a warning. I want to understand this. Please understand this. We are, we, we are so set on getting people to feel welcome that we don't warn them. Every time Jesus had a crowd, he warned as well as welcomed. He always gave a warning. Why? Because he knew that not everyone was there for the right reasons. He knew that everyone who was there, their heart was not pointed toward him. He understood the crowd. And since you and I don't, we should both welcome and warn. What was the welcome? He says, let's look at Matthew. He says to them, in verse 11, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting. Why does he say that? He turns to the crowd who's now who's probably mostly Jewish, if not all Jewish, and he says to them, they will come from east and west. You know what that meant? That meant everywhere but Israel. He was talking about Gentiles will come. Now, it's his... Just to let you know, Jesus' intention was always that Gentiles would be included in his plan of salvation. Always. We saw it at many times. As a matter of fact, Matthew lets you in on a secret. When you read the genealogy, as you go through it, what you will see placed throughout the genealogy are Gentiles. Matthew was really intentional to let you know that. Why? Because he was trying to let you see the picture that Jesus is the King and the Messiah of all. Um, and because God had represented in his lineage not only Jews, but also Gentiles. You say, Gentiles? Yeah. When he mentioned Ruth, Ruth was from Moab, Gentile. And when he mentions some of the other people are down the line that you see, you see Gentiles. When you see Rahab, sketchy, she ran a brothel. Come on. 
sketchy, included in the lineage of Jesus. What Jesus was telling you is that all of humanity I understand and I represent and I came to die for and to save and to rescue. And so he comes up now and he says to them, they will, many will come from the east. And what's what he was saying is that there will be many outside of Israel. Why? Because he had just dealt with someone outside of the Jewish faith, outside of the covenants, outside of all that was, and they embraced Jesus more than the ones who was there. And what Jesus said was an indictment as he welcomed those on the outside. He said, I've not seen this kind of faith. I've not seen greater faith. Listen to what he says, in all of Israel. That included all of Israel. There was no part that wasn't included. That meant all the Jews. Has he not seen faith greater than this? But then he turns, and so he says to them, all will be welcomed, but then he gives a warning. He says, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. Who are the sons of the kingdom? You mean those who have come to Christ are going to be thrown out? No. What he was saying to those who the kingdom should have come from and come initially to, who were those? Those were the Jews, but understand who he was talking to. He was talking to people that would have seen themselves as good people. Jesus wasn't talking to the bad people. He wasn't talking to them, you know, them out there, you know, them folk that we like to say them, you know, those folk that don't know, you know, no, no. Who he would have been talking to is church folk. Who he would have been talking to are those of us that have grown up with the scriptures, that have grown up going to church and grown up going to Bible study and coming to youth group and going to Christian conferences. And he said that they will come from the outside in and those who think that they're in because of what they're doing. Now he's coming back to that group who thought that the Gentile was worthy. Now he's talking to them. He says, you'll be thrown out. Why will you be thrown out? Because you never embraced me and my authority as this man has. And so he says, who will get into the kingdom? The one who embraces me as king and understands and embraces my authority. He made it clear. And he says to them, it will be weeping, which talks about despair and gnashing of teeth which talks about totally being destroyed. You are afraid of destruction. You're done. He says they will be thrown out into outer darkness. God says none of us are deserving. He was saying you Jews thought that he was deserving because of all that he did for you. And thus you think you're deserving because you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as your forefathers. Today, we would say, yeah, I know great-grandmother was a Christian. I know grandma knew Christ. I know grandpa walked with the Lord. I know my dad is pastor and all. I know that, 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 that my dad is elder. I know that my mom is a mother of the church. I know that mom serves and leads in ministry. And God says, that holds no guarantee for any of you. Unless you embrace me as king. And that I have authority over your life. Then and only then will you get to sit with me in the kingdom. God has no grandchildren, no foster children, 
No nephews and no nieces. All he has is children. And people that come to him that are born of him, from him, because they embrace him. And then Jesus says to him at the end, it is, and this is the verse that is used so messed up. He says, Jesus says to him that it is as you have believed. Understand this. It is as you have believed. Now, some people take that and believe. See, he believed that Jesus would do it. And so as long as I believe that Jesus would do it, no. The wording there, understand it. He says, I will grant you this in the way that you believe. How did I believe? That because you speak for God, your word carries authority. Jesus said, it is as you believed. In other words, you believed correctly. All I need to do is speak. And he goes, I speak, your servant is well. And understand, by the time the messengers got back, I'm wondering that the centurion said, he must have done something because he got up before y'all got here. They said, oh yeah, he said to us, it was as you believed. Understand, Jesus probably never met the centurion because he never showed up in person. But he went by what he heard. And what he heard about Jesus sparked true faith. And his true faith brought him into connection with Christ. And Christ responded to him and said, it is as you've believed. And so it's not quantity of faith. It is the subject of your faith, Jesus, and the content of your faith. Faith is not some super juice. This is not some sort of super serum like Captain America. You inject it in your arm, and all of a sudden you can jump over buildings. doesn't work like that. Jesus said the object of your faith better be in the right place. Otherwise, you're leaning against an unstable building. You know, you and I have faith every time we come into this place and sit in that chair. But this chair can betray your faith. Let one of them legs be loose, and you go plop down in it fall on the floor and hurt yourself. Next time you go to sit in one of these chairs that look like it, you're going to hesitate. And for you and I today, when we place our faith in Christ and our life in him, allowing him to have authority over our lives, Jesus says, I never disappoint. Well, some of you say, well, I've been disappointed with God. Ah, I would say it's because you either have not perceived him rightly nor understand him rightly, and are probably listening to someone else. The person who perceives and receives Jesus rightly will live for him rightly. Why? Because you will see him as he has been revealed to be seen. Well, he didn't answer my prayer. Hmm, we heard last week, maybe you were praying the wrong thing. Um, he didn't say yes or no. We heard that last week. Maybe it's because neither one of those options are what he had. And so we come to Jesus and get disappointed when he doesn't do what we say. And I have to ask you, have you stopped for one second to find out what he wants of you instead of what you want of him? And the answer lies in Jesus will never disappoint the person who was seeking to follow him. Oh, it may hurt. You got that right, it may. Is he safe? No. Some of you will get that line, but he's good. He's not safe. Following Jesus is not safe. It may cost you your life. Ask the apostles. Ask the early church 
members. Ask those now in countries where it is illegal to follow God. Is it safe? No, but he's good. And you will find purpose for your life and you will find meaning in. It won't matter whether you live here or you live on in eternity. You're not walking around with a death wish looking for it. But he says here that you, it doesn't matter to you as long as it's what Jesus wants. He's walking with you. So let me ask you today. If Jesus has the authority of the king that has been demonstrated... Are you under his authority? Or are you still trying to dictate life on your own? Or are you listening to someone who has yet to demonstrate authority to you that they are worthy to be heard? Are you following the authority of Jesus? Are you deserving of Jesus to come to you? Do you still think he owes you? Or do you think you're cool with him because of someone else? Do you think it's okay because my dad, my mom, my aunt, my uncle, my sister, my cousin, my grandmother served God, thus I'm cool? Or do you know for yourself, I bow to the authority of the king, thus I am part of the kingdom's influence? Only you can answer that. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, that the king has spoken. Lord, that Jesus has allowed us Oh, God, to understand that we are not deserving. Father, this person who was outside of the kingdom, out, 